Um, a couple things as we begin to look into God's Word. Um, I, at one level, enjoyed uh, not having to lead in community today. So thanks, Wes, for coming in and, and doing that for us because it gives me more time to just sit with it and think about it. And um, as I was thinking and uh, trying to put my mind in that place where Jesus was at that table um, with his closest followers who had walked with him and lived with him and ate with him and seen his miracles and heard his words and... Um, but a special meal that would be was Passover, was the highlight of the year. And what came into my mind is the picture of Jesus um, handing out the, the bread and the cup and doing so with tears in his eyes, knowing what he would go through in the hours that were to come knowing that he had poured his life into these guys, not only as disciples, but as Jesus says in his very own words, he says, I now call you friends. These were his friends seated around the table. And I have to believe, I guess, just in my little mind, in my heart, that uh, it wasn't a joyous time for Jesus. Maybe his mind was filled with all the memories of the past three years, and I know it was definitely filled with what would happen in just a few short hours. But I have to think that Jesus had tears in his eyes, not only about what was going to happen, but who he was leaving. Oh, sure, he knew the end result. We can have our hearts set toward heaven, but death is still hard. We can be ready to go, but when that loved one is standing at the foot of the bed, it is hard to leave. Jesus was ready to go. His will was surrendered to the Father, but it was hard to leave. We have seen too often um, the picture of the Last Supper. Jesus sitting at the middle of the table and the disciples sitting so nicely around it. Everything looks very medieval. <laughs> um, I don't think it was so clean. Sometimes we whitewash what Jesus has done because we see these pictures, not forgetting the earthiness of that meal. So I would just say that as we consider communion, the Lord's table, the Last Supper, Let's not um, paint it just in our picture of today where everything is pretty neat and clean. We've got white tablecloths and 
shiny silver-like plates and little plastic cups. They probably didn't have little plastic cups in Jesus' day. Um, let's remember the cost. Let's remember the emotion. And he did it for you. Did it for me. Thank you, Matt, for bringing us into the throne room today. And thank you for not rushing us there. Too often we rush into God's presence and we spew the things out of our mouth and we rush back out, slamming the door behind us. And God sits there. I, I just picture him with a word on his tongue. The breath is coming out and we're running the opposite direction and we fail to hear God speak. Man, lots of lessons today. Lots of lessons. Can I give you one more? I mean, I'm getting paid for this. You might as well let me do my job. Uh, my blessing is to preach the word. Um, if you have your Bible, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. We are wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount. You know, as you're turning there, let me just uh, preface it with this. You know, the, we believe and hold to that this book, it's 66 books, uh, written for us is the word of God to us. It does not just contain the word of God, but it is the word of God and it is profitable for us. It adds to our life. It gives us direction and, and it causes us to come into confession at times. It challenges us. It convicts us. It comforts us. So much of the Bible is other people's words about God or to God. Good stuff, and I believe it's God's word. But then we come to the Sermon on the Mount and other portions of the gospel, and we have the very spoken word of God to us. Now, the people on that mountainside or that valley or wherever it happened to be did not know that it was God who was speaking to them, but it was. Can you imagine putting yourself in that place? Not, not necessarily one of the disciples or one of the religious hierarchy. You were just a person who heard about this man named Jesus, and maybe you even showed up because you weren't feeling too well, and you heard that Jesus healed the sick. Maybe you'd get something from Jesus, but you were just an, you're just an everyday kind of person, not understanding who Jesus is. But these are Jesus's words. We know that to be true because in some of your Bibles they're in red. And whenever you see a red letter in your Bible, that means that Jesus said it. It's nice when they do that for us. 
We don't have to work about it so much. Some of you don't have the red letters and it takes a little bit more work. But today we are reading, we are hearing Jesus' words to a group of people. His disciples were there. The general population was there. The religious leaders were there. They were all gathered. And Jesus' words that we have been looking for toward um, speak of what it is to follow him, the cost involved of being a disciple, and what it means to be part of God's kingdom, his upside-down kingdom, as we have been calling it. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew against it and beat against that house, and it fell. Great was the fall of it. Now, if you've been in church any length of time, as I read those words, you have to go back to, wise man built his house upon the rock. Rise man built his house. Go ahead. Rise man built his house upon the rock, and the rains came tumbling down. Let me see it. Come on. The rains came down, and the floods came up. It's on television. The rains came down, and the floods came up. The rains came down, and the floods came up, and the house on the rock stood firm. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. And the rains came tumbling down. Here we go. And the rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up and the house on the sand went flat. Very good. And then there's a third verse. So build your house on the Lord Jesus Christ. So build your house on the Lord Jesus Christ. So build your house on the Lord Jesus Christ and the blessings will come down. Oh, Blessings will come down as the prayers go up. The blessings will come down as the prayers go up. The blessings will come down as the prayers go up. Very good. And with that, we should just say amen and go home. <laughs> but, you know, um, I understand what it is to be flooded out. We bought a house um, just a couple days after Christmas, um, a number of years ago, 20 plus years ago, and we moved in right after Christmas, and we spent January getting the house all ready. We had a church party at our house that, so everybody could come from the church and see where the pastor's going, and 
look in our cupboards and, you know, do all that kind of stuff, get nosy. Um, we are paying him, so we have a right to look. Um, and so uh, they came, and we had a great time of fellowship with people coming and going, and finally chased them all away and breathed a big sigh of relief. And then the rain started to fall down. And the rain fell down, and the floods came up. We lived in the Santa Cruz Mountains, and rain is a good thing. Redwood trees love the rain, but us humans can only stand so much. There was one time we had 25 inches in 20 hours. Um, I don't care where you live, that's a lot of water. And it's got to go somewhere, and some of that water on that day, on that night, came and decided to make its home in mine, and Linda's home as well. And fortunately, the... the uh, Sheriff came about midnight, banged on the door and said, you got to get out of Dodge. So we left, and um, my wife, who is always filled with great hope, as we were sitting up on the side of the road, the rain was coming down, and the river was rising, was sure that nothing was happening to the house. Her husband, on the other hand, who knows that everything bad that can happen will happen, um, was sure that our house was a mess. And Linda was very sure, even as we drove down the road to our house, that everything would be fine. I knew when we came around the first corner and saw mud on the road about this thing, that things were not fine. So we drove a little farther down the road. We slipped and sloshed around, and we came to our house, and we, there was no water. So we um, opened the door. No water. Looked just fine till we stepped on the carpet. There was water. Everywhere there was water. When we went outside, you could look around the side of my house, and about three or four feet off the ground, you could see the water line where the river had come up, where the floods came up, and where they receded from. But our house looked not so bad. I mean, the floors were wet, the carpet was wet, but we can dry those things out. Everything else looked pretty good. There was water marks on some of the things on the piano got wet, but I was happy with that. It gave me a good excuse for getting rid of the old beast. Um, so it looked fine, and the insurance guy came the next day and said, well, I want to look around your house because you're going to need to make a claim, and he walked around, and he came into one of our back rooms, and he says, do you mind if I put a hole in your wall? And I said, oh, go ahead, why not? You know, you're the insurance guy, you will pay for it. So he took a hammer, and he put his, um, a hole in the wall about two feet, two and a half feet off the ground, and water just gushed out of that hole. Uh, I have found that insulation is a great sponge. Um, so needless to say, every wall came down in the house, all the floors came up. There was um, much damage that happens when your house gets flooded, and much displacement too, of things and of people. We had to move out for a couple of months as they rebuilt the house. Floods are damaging things. They are not things that you want to go through. And I'm sure some of you have gone through floods. But Jesus says there's a way that we can stay away from the floods of life, and it's by building on the rock. And lots of times we... Um, we look at this rock and we say, well, Jesus is telling us to build our lives on him. That is true, but that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, it's the one who hears my words 
and does them. That is the wise person. That is the person who is like one, like one who builds his house on firm ground above the flood. It's the ones who are the doers of his word. The word of God is firm, it's stable, it's lasting, it will not change. The sand around us, the shifting shallow sand around us is the the philosophies of this world, the current understandings of our culture. We can choose those things, or we can choose the Word of God, which is lasting, profitable for us. We were blessed to live on the Pacific coast. Oh, somebody asked me what it's like to live in California once. We did a little research this past week, my son-in-law and I, as we were going to the Black Hills, and he asked me, how many people live in South Dakota? So we took out and asked Google, how many people live in South Dakota? Now, I'm dealing in round numbers here, of course, but uh, Google told us there's about 800,000 people in South Dakota. So I asked DDA, my son-in-law, I said, look up the population of San Jose, California, a town that we would, that he lived adjacent to and that I would drive through numerous times. And so he looked up this population of uh, San Jose, California, and it was about uh, 1.2 million people in about, they said they they figured it out, there's 300,000 per square mile. You farmers who have square miles, you, you know what that looked like. Stick 300,000 people in there. Needless to say, California is different than South Dakota. So that answers your question. What's it like? It's very crowded. And still people are trying to do 80 miles an hour on the expressways. So. But Jesus says... Build your house on the rock, not on the sand. When you go to the Pacific Ocean, you can stand on the, on the shore and the water will come up and it will drag sand against your feet. And if you stay there long enough, the water will go back out and you can just watch the sand move. It's not very stable for you. You've seen, or maybe you've built sandcastles and the water comes up, the ocean crashes against the sandcastle and there is nothing left. It slowly ebbs away and maybe it looks like there was a castle there at some time, but you know it's going to be gone. Well, that's the way it is with our culture and its teachings, its philosophies, its sand. And you have two choices. One, to build your house upon God and his word by being a hearer of it and a doer of it, or build your life on the philosophies and systems of this world which will wash away. Sand cannot offer lasting security. Only God and his word can offer lasting security. So as I was thinking about what Jesus said, it, um, 
and maybe this works for you too, but um, I was taken to um, the letter of James. And many will say that this James here is also the brother of Jesus. And if that is true, this is a brother who didn't believe that his brother was the son of God. It took him a while to get there. Can you imagine what it would be like to grow up with somebody who's the son of God? Could be trying at times. Verse 19 of chapter 1. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear. Slow to speak. Slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, not just receivers of the word, but doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, and for he looks at himself and he goes away, and at once he goes away, he forgets what he looks like. It happens. I've seen people look at themselves in the mirror, walk away, and then go back and look again, just to make sure nothing changed. The other day I was shaving. Those of us who have bald heads, I put shaving cream on my head, and on my cheeks, on my neck, and I shaved. And after I shaved, I went and took a shower. And after the shower, I came out and dried off. Went in to watch a little television and put my hand here and realized I forgot to shave my neck. And some of you say, well, that's obvious. But I mean down here. And I realized the problem was if I would have looked in the mirror a second time, I would have seen that there was still shaving cream here that needed to be removed along with the little tiny hairs that was underneath of it. But that's the way it is when we look in the mirror. Often we walk away and we forget what we were there to do. The one who does not do the word forgets the word. But there is one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. We are called not to be just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Putting that into practice. When God says, do this, we do it. When God says, don't do it, we don't do it. When God says, love your neighbor, we love our neighbor. When God says, hate sin, we 
love sin. And Oh, no, I'm sorry. We hate sin. We do what the Word of God says. And that's what we are called to do, to be doers, not just hearers. And as we do the Word of God, we build our house on the rock. That rock that will hold us secure. So one last verse, and it's the verse we started with a number of weeks ago when we entered into the Sermon on the Mount. We started with verses uh, 28 and 29 of chapter 7, and it says, when Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who has authority, and not as the religious leaders or the scribes of the day. Jesus is Words come with authority. Matthew chapter 28, the end of Matthew's gospel, he will record that all authority has been given to Jesus in heaven and earth. All authority. There is not any place where Jesus does not have authority. And that's why we need to hold on to his words. Remember, John says in John chapter 1 that... Um, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He tells us that Jesus is the living Word, and if Jesus is the living Word, then I guess that his words that he spoke are living too, and they give us life. In fact, that's what Peter said when Jesus said to the disciples, are you going to leave me? Everybody else is leaving me. And Peter looked at Jesus and said, where are we, we going to go? Where are we going to go? Your words are the words of life. This is where we're staying, Jesus. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.